This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. You're doomed. On our show tonight, sequel to Deja Vu, our hosts celebrate the time-honored tradition of movie sequels including the good, the bad, and the very ugly. From diabolical killers who won't stay in the grave, to science fiction epics whose stories cannot be contained, to a single chapter, and so much more. Join us for the tales you love, and some that you won't believe got made in the first place. In 1998, six million violent incidents took place in American high schools, including 29,927 teacher fatalities. The public school system has been reduced to a battlefield. But the Board of Education has just found a solution. The perfect solution. You're next, Mr. Cope. For the class of 1999. Where are you? The class of 1999. These androids were supposed to educate the students. Battle droids, Miles. Battle droids. To graduate is to survive. All righty, folks. Welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's sequel to Deja Vu. And we have a bit of an oddball for you. And I'm not just talking about my co-host. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was yes, the you are. love, sir. I mean, utmost love. But my co-host yeah. is Tim O'Sabin of the New Synapse Podcast. How are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Cameron? I- I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm enjoying retirement. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you've got so many podcasts going. You're like a podcast octopus right now. Yeah, doing it full time. Yeah. How many? How many do you have going right now? Like, I know, Four? I know, it's under like one umbrella that you're doing, but you have like different. They're basically like like sub shows, right? They yeah, they're like, basically like, sub shows yeah. that I do. You know, mm-hmm. um, I have four, five. I'm getting ready to launch two more in the next month. Oh so, my god! I hope and I hope you pay your staff well. Yeah, I don't pay. I don't pay my staff. Shit. <laughs> I don't pay them anything. And, and then right. by staff, meaning me and Patty, <laughs> neither one of us get paid anything. But, but that Great. being said, speaking of jittery, our main character in this movie, he is fucking jittery as shit. We're doing, we got to get with our, our title here. We are doing sure. the sequel to Class of 1984 with Class of 1999. Now, the original came out in 1982. 
This came out in 1990, so there was an eight-year gap, and this is what the director's vision was <laughs> was going to be for 1999. Right. And I guess with the world he created for Class of 84, it it seems strangely appropriate that right, that pen, right. like you know, that pendulum would uh, you know would swing back and forth. Sure, sure. But class of 1999, I remember seeing this on uh, old Skinamax and HBO or HBO. It was one of the two many, many times back in the day. Mm -hmm. But let's go ahead. You know, I'll let you retire a movie guy. I know I brought him out of you a couple of times in the past, but (laughs) I'll I'll take this one. I'll take this one and let him let him rest his vocal cords for a show. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Class of 1999 as it follows. Three ex-military robots are reprogrammed as teachers and secretly placed in a school where most of the students are part of organized gangs. They begin to respond violently to unruly students and their military training starts to take over. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that covers about like half of what the movie's about. The other half is just about poor fucking Cody getting out of prison. And mm-hmm. just trying his best to kind of go straight as, you know, you know, from the gang lifestyle and failing every step of the way. It's one of those, I, I hate to say it as a line from The Godfather, but every time he thinks he's out, they just pull him back in. Right. Well, the problem, and it was a problem. I've actually seen Mark Lester talk about the problem. The problem is, is that there's no one really likable in this movie. Right. And yeah. There's no to, and he knew there. that we're talking about gangbangers versus murderous robots. So the trick of the film is to yeah, how do you, yeah, who how, do you root for really? Yeah, who are you going to identify with? How are they going to get you to identify, you know, with the Bradley Gregg, you know, character? And uh, I, I think they did okay as the movie went on. They did okay in a late '80s kind of way, you know. I I, I, I suppose, but that is the interesting thing. How you, you know, a lot of times uh, these characters are played like they're lovable losers. Um. Con Air is a good, I know that's a crazy, crazy swerve from Class 99, but he, it's, it's sort of a similar crazy. thing where, he, where he's coming out of, you respect why he was in prison in the first place and you feel for him and you know he's just, he's, he's had a bad run of bad luck. He's had luck that would make John Rambo lose sleep, you know, and so, and so you're kind of for him. With this, these people are kind of asking for their jail time. um they've all done shit to deserve the jail time right right exactly and um yeah so he's you know to be honest with you something that also jumped out at me about bradley gregg he's a good actor i like him he plays a good jerk a lot of times in movies uh, especially like in stand by me and stuff like that yeah stand by me right um but i just think he's a little physically miscast He's a little guy and it's, he's so, he's, he's either such a small guy that they can't hide it. Like they try to sometimes, like they try to make Stallone taller cause he's not a tall guy. You know, these other guys like this, yeah. it's like, I mean, he's, he's just, it's not big in physical no. stature in any way. He's no, he's not a physical, he's, he's not a presence like that. That's not the kind of actor he is. And I think he was a little miscast and i don't mean i'm not disrespecting his skills as an actor i'm disrespecting the casting agents or the are the catch the, the casting people a little bit in the film because i think that he would have been a great um one of the gang guys but or like the little brother 
I, I think he would have been, been good uh, cast as uh, Hector or, or Sonny. That's true, too. I agree you know. with that as well. Because that's I a character that, that could be tinier and could be a little more wiry. He's just not a an, an action hero type of a specimen, you know? He's just... Right. Uh, doesn't and carry he, himself that way. It's like he, and I had a note here that I think it's like he's trying to, he's caught somewhere between Christian Slaterville and Stephen Dorfville. Like <laughs> a little, well, he, he, he comes across like he has a Napoleonic complex because he's oh, yeah. constantly trying to act too cool and beefed up and stuff. And, and he, he's always got his like an arms forward. He's kind of walking like Vince McMahon does to the, to the wrestling ring. You know? Right. Yeah. He comes out like yeah. Stone Cold making his entrance. Yeah, and he's but he's kind of a cool and collected guy. I kind of like that. I think we won't jump too far, but I think by the end of it, it gets it gets into cheese ball territory. It gets a little over the top, but he's not a bad actor. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I I think he's actually a fine actor. I just don't know, and I I can't tell you if I have a better uh, person in mind for that. Yeah, me. But you know, like let's go let's go to the first film, Class of 1984. I mean, it would to me. It would be like putting Michael J. Fox in the role of one of the thugs, you know, right? In that movie, right. which doesn't exactly. make sense, you know, because he's not physically in, uh, like uh, overpowering like that. He's not that kind of presence. Well, Timothy Patton, you know, was was that guy, you know, in the yeah. first movie. Uh, you know, he he was it was cast well. He was just unfortunately, you know, even great actors can be miscast, and that's I think really what's what's you know at stake here is the main role is this really miscast like a movie we just recently did was uh land of the dead you know just talk about that for about 10 seconds you know that's another movie where the lead is horribly miscast Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's just uh no with an all right actor but just you know just not the role they were born to play right right i mean and you know i i i actually kind of i feel good for uh, you know, for Bradley Gregg, be- because it's like he got cast in a role he never gets cast in. So as another human, I think it was great he got to play that. I think it's really cool as a fellow artist. Yeah. You know, and it was the only time he it was the only time he was ever cast as a lead in a movie. I saw that. That was that was interesting to me, and I, I thought for sure I'd seen him another thing, especially when he was me younger. too. Yeah, uh, but we did see him, and I guess we, we must have. We got so used to seeing his face in the smaller roles, we must have just assumed that he had to be in one of these canon movies or something, you know? Like, yeah, there was. And it's funny that you mentioned canon because this, I made a note here right across the top with one of the first notes is that this is the most canon like non canon movie ever produced. You know what I mean? It it screams canon every step of the way. Yes, it does. It does, you know, like right. You, expect, you know, you expect that logo to come across the screen, but no, we get Vestron instead. Well, which is not super far off, you know, from, from can. Although I, I know Vestron was known more as a VHS, you know, kind of label than it was a theatrical type of, uh, type of deal. But wasn't this their last film, too, right? Yeah, this is their last theatrical movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taurus For, Entertainment, and it was a. I think I think Taurus bought it from Vestron is like part uh-huh. of their you know their acquisitions, but uh, yeah, this is the the last Vestron movie. Right, right. Which is kind of cool. Now, a little sidetrack, but it is kind of neat as a old and still progressing uh, in age, I guess, uh, 
physical media collector to see Vestron back in the game a little bit. That's kind of neat. I don't know how that happened. I have I don't I never paid attention to the, the story of how Vestron kind of came back and started put. I don't know if someone just bought the name. I don't care. It's still kind of neat to me. Yeah, yeah. I I own about a half dozen of those uh, special editions. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of yeah. cool. That's that's neat to see that name and you know maybe somebody who's you know half our age wouldn't quite get that but it's it's kind of it's kind of cool you know I've, yeah it I've, is cool for me, cool for me because I, I recognize that label it's just like it's just other other labels like trimark you know and the yeah not, you know I, I see right. that and it's just like i know what i'm getting into right like when you bought a pm you know, entertainment say, movie you know yes <laughs> you better you better have good pot <laughs> yeah, you yeah. knew that Cynthia Rothrock or Don the Dragon Wilson was going to be up in that motherfucker. <laughs> right, right. And therefore, you were glued. You were ready to go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> exactly right. But no, and this definitely falls into that bizarre. This is way more of an 80s movie than a 90s movie. I know it came out in 90, but I think it was shot in 88. It yeah, sat around for a little bit. I think they shopped it a little bit, and it, did, it didn't really, you know, it, it kind of took a little bit to get out. But it's definitely a late 80s movie. And, and and to be honest with you, there to me is a huge division in the early 80s and late 80s films. And uh they they the class of 84 being an earlier 80s movie and this one being later, uh, they fit perfectly into those stereotyped categories. I mean oh, perfectly. Yeah. They're perfect examples. They were their own kind of exploitation kind of genre. Right. <clears throat> right. Um and this one though, I what the I think and I know we're going to talk about this. We should because we started talking about Bradley Gregg. But what a cast this movie has, right? Yeah, I mean that's where this movie really succeeds. I mean, between uh, I mean Stacy Keach, Malcolm McDowell, even Joshua Miller from Near Dark. You got Pam yeah. Greer. Yeah, I mean now that- I had a huge, massive, mad crush on Tracy Lynn all through the eighties. Okay. Oh, I did too, and it started with uh, Fright Night Part Two. Yeah, well, I turned right right to my lovely wife, Angie, and said, that woman right there, <laughs> like, that woman right there was taking up my time before I met you. I'm just going to put you, you know, I was like, <laughs> she was, I mean, and she was, her and I think Shawnee Smith were probably uh, two young ladies who I would like to take to prom. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, uh, Understood. <laughs> yes. So I think that's cool. The other actor in this movie that I absolutely love and who I think is sorely, sorely underrated as a eccentric, as an eccentric actor, John P. Ryan. John P. Ryan to me, if I see him and I'm, I'm going to watch it, I am going to watch the movie. If John P. Ryan is, I love that guy. He is such a bizarre, original performer. Um, it I blows always my mind. used to get him mixed up with Terrence Stamp. I could see day. that. I could see. I, that. I used to get them mixed up because I'd be like, like, oh, Terrence Stamp. He was in Bound, and I'm like, nope, that was that was John P. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, they look like two cyborgs who came off the same assembly line with different internal parts right <laughs> they couldn't be more <laughs> further apart from each other as how they act but they do look very similar i will grant you that for sure uh of course pam greer absolutely stunning as always also i can't say i wouldn't take pam greer to my prom she she beat me up she'd be sl- i'd have i would have 
She would have one handprint on her bottom area, and I would have four on my face. Yeah, and that's just before you hit the ground. Right, right, right. I would have. To, I wouldn't stand a chance against her, you know. Um, but boy, is she oh, absolutely gosh. beautiful in this film too. And I mean, she's back because wasn't she? Would she took a, a break from acting for a while? It almost killed yeah, her career, really. But she took yeah, a break. She took a couple of years. I, I know she had some health issues, mm-hmm. and she took a couple of years to take care of herself. Right, and, uh, and she you know, did a yeah, good it almost, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she came back looking like a million dollars, and oh, still uh, an amazing presence. She can just stand there and just with a stare, command right. the screen, you know, and y- your eyes are on her. Right, I love this thing right. at the beginning where they're. It's kind of like a, almost an escape from New York type opening, you know. It's almost the oh, same yeah. voice, the same graphics. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what they yeah. were going for. But is oh, there, yeah, for sure. Right. As they're editing between that, you know, and Cody leaving prison. I mean, you get every big name, name actor right off the beginning. You get her, mm-hmm. John P. Ryan, and Patrick Kilpatrick. He was a good, you know, good character actor, too. Oh, I have mixed heavy. feelings about him. Uh, and and when he tries to do comedy, that's outside his wheelhouse, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's, a good, he's a good jerk. But he's, he's a, a good real jerk. good heavy. Real yeah. good heavy. Yeah. He's and like, uh, Brian Thompson's like that. Brian Thompson's a good a good heavy. Very yes. bizarre in real life. Very bizarre guy in real life. But he's he's a great heavy in films for sure. And a, he is an imposing person. He's big. He's a real big dude. Yeah. Too. And, so and they're like, very similar to each other. Yeah. 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 Then another couple of people that looked like they both rolled off the same assembly line just with different. Absolutely. Yeah. I, parts. I got Patrick Kilpatrick and Brian Thompson mixed up all the time when I was younger. Well, um, there there you the, go. <laughs> Sure did. I mean, but yeah. So the weirdest part, I think, of this of this whole opening sequence with everybody is the fact that Stacy Keach is took the you know he wanted to play the part as an albino villain, so he's yes. got the contacts, he's got the hair to make him look with the the. It's it's not so much the hair color as his bone white hair is the friggin' rat tail that he's got hanging as like <laughs> Stacy Keach with a rat tail, yeah. and. He, he looks like an evil guy Fieri, is what he Right, was. right, right, right. Now, <laughs> I, was, I was let in on this, okay? So I was told, and I'm actually looking right now, so, so, so forgive me, but I can't recall the exact film. He played another villain uh, that, was, that was an albino villain. And I am trying to look it up right now because I was just talking to our good friend, uh, DVD Bob. And I told him that I was going to be talking to you about this film. And I, and we were kind of, we were kind of chuckling about the film because it's, it's worth chuckling over. It's fun. Uh, fun Yeah, absolutely. But he, he brought up, he goes, Oh yeah. He goes, he's playing a, he, he did that again. I'm trying to figure out, it might be the life and times of judge Roy B actually, where he played a character very similar uh, to that, who also uh, was an albino, you know, basically. Huh. But anyway, so I could be wrong about that, but we were just happening to be chatting about it. And uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's another one of those things where you're talking to another very intelligent movie person and they're telling you something that you're not aware of, which is very cool to me. I really enjoy I love uh, when we do uh, uh, conventions, you know, if, I, if, if I'm now at the uh, synapse table, and man, there are a couple really, really smart movie people standing behind that that table and it is a pleasure 
you know, just sit there, you know, and talk about that and stuff. So, but um, yes, I do know he did it before, but I will have to kind of, I'll have to kind of go through my mind while we're doing this review here and see if I can figure out what movie that was and if that is in case or if that is in fact true. But uh, very interesting though that that was his idea. That was yes. Stacy Keach's idea to do all that. And uh, you know, it's kind of funny how the if you look at this movie, you know, we this isn't our first review together, and I think you mm -hmm. know by now that I really appreciate a B movie when all of the actors are playing it quote straight. Right. And right. And now, what's interesting about this film was I think what works about this is that uh, the students are all playing it really straight, uh, but the teachers. I mean, they're all chewing so much scenery. I saw teeth marks on a couple walls, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, um, but it works because the because the 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 teachers are so over the top. They're so in, and, and it makes them almost inhuman. Their behavior does. And I'm, Mark oh, yeah. Lester was approached by all of these veteran actors. And I know that John Ryan, not Pam Greer as much, I don't think. But I know that John Ryan and I know that uh, um, Stacey Keach, a lot of the little nuances of their performances were all brought to the table by them themselves. Well, I Which, know for, yeah. um, for a fact that like John Ryan had improvised uh, on the day of the shoot when he kills, oh, hell, when he kills Hector. Mm -hmm. he, he wanted to steal his necklace and that became like a main focal point of the movie later on by stealing his uh his crucifix and i know that was his idea so they were allowed mm -hmm. to like really kind of improvise and make the characters their own which I, I can appreciate you know right right um yeah and then and the the whole the whole back and forth the, the oh here's the other part stacy keach is also going way over the top so oh, yeah. everyone involved with the robots and with that company almost seems like it's being directed by a completely different crew and different director. I think Mark Lester let those guys kind of do their thing because he respected their who they were. I mean, I think he thought that it'd probably be smart for me. He, he was definitely a workman director. You know, he made yeah. some big hit movies and stuff, but he, he wasn't in, he wasn't making super important movies. And by the way, thank you, Mark Lester, for not making super important movies. It gives us all something to watch and enjoy. But yeah. he, he wasn't. He just, right. So I think he was smart enough and he was already engaged enough in his, in his craft, in his career to know they probably know better than me what's going to work here. And he let them do it. I think he wrangled in the young performers much, much more. And I think it, in an odd way, it works. Um, but well, it also it, it makes feels them... like the like the the students are on a different level, and mm -hmm. they're they're operating from the standpoint of they are not it, it, like there's a joke, but they're not in on the joke. If I'm making any sense at all, yes, <laughs> right, 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 and and One of the ways I think that Mark Lester, and I don't know if he actually intended on doing this, but it kind of maybe was an uh, unintended good consequence, that since the 
the veteran actors in the film, except for Malcolm McDowell. Remember, he was not a part of the robot guys. Malcolm McDowell was a part of the school. He was yeah. very straightforward and very serious, and I appreciated that too. He came in, he he worked, he did, he was yeah, he, very low key in this movie yeah. as uh, Principal Miles. He was like absolutely very subdued for what we're used to coming from Malcolm McDowell. Absolutely. So you get these guys acting like weirdos, and then you get the other people acting a little bit more serious. The robots obviously don't take those students. Or their lives seriously, they're oh, no. they're nothing more than fodder for the end game for what the what the robots want to eventually be. You know, they want to they want to eventually be the, the the military. You know, whatever they want to be weapons. You know, and stuff. So these kids mean nothing. The kids only mean something to the other kids and right. to Malcolm McDowell. Now there are a couple of characters, or at least one character in the quote, control room, um, that uh, seemed to be a little bothered by all this, although you wonder how they got that far. Right. They seemed like they got awfully far within, you know, this, uh, well, the company's called Megatech, you know, okay. and Megatech had made the deal with Kennedy High School, which, you know, was using the the, the these Terminator-like android teachers to come sure. in. But, right. you know, they're, they're former military anyway. They're former military reprogrammed to be educators. But, right. like, how did the, the, you know, the systems analysts and the doctors and everybody else, the scientists that were there, get as far as they did without realizing that this, you know, once again, this pendulum was going to swing back in the violent direction? Like, they right. had to see, like, the writing on the wall. They, these, these teachers slash, you know, assassins i mean basically are right uh not not good not good at keeping their poker face on you know they kind of no. Like, no like not at all right right well and i i the one look this is not a movie that you should you should try to find the plot holes in because you'll break your ankles falling in them at, at any given moment but i mean didn't anyone stop and think you know, maybe we ought to make it to where we can observe the robots in the control room from places besides the school. Like when they go to their apartment, maybe we could see what they're doing so we know that they're not up to anything nefarious. But yeah, but it was the one thing I noticed at first. I was like, that's kind of a really big plot point that these guys are watching all of this stuff from the control room. And then all of a sudden, when these robots go home, it's like they're like, they're in like a blackout like they, they can't see him and it is said because i was bothered by that and then one of the characters did say well the, where we can only observe them when they're at school i'd say like, that was why? a design flaw that was a design yeah, if flaw. you're losing them for you know 16 hours a day you know that's a big t jump you know it's not like oh we can't see them on their drive home from school you know <laughs> right right exactly time time gap at school is like just say eight hours long every day losing them for 16 hours a day is uh like i said big fucking chunk right right and, and i think they could still have pulled off the drama of the movie without that but it probably just made it a little easier just not to not to be able to see them and let them do their own thing. But yeah, this so isn't a movie got, that's big yeah. on science. It's not big, really, really big on science for a movie that's science fiction, you know. But <laughs> right, right, you know, right. Eh, it is what yeah. it is. But you were, you you brought the Terminator though. It's it's a total to me. Like I think they said that they were that that it was like um, at least visually 
it was influenced by the Road Warrior and the Asphalt Jungle. I kind of see that, but if, if you want my opinion, it looks a hell of a lot more like the Terminator meets Escape from New York. To yeah, me it's than, Terminator than... meets Escape from New York with uh, a bunch of stolen cars from the Mad Max lot. Right, right, exactly. And yeah. I, I did make a note about the cars. I, I really like the cars. I think it, they're really well put together. Not well put together because they're all really beat up. But mm-hmm. I love, like, you know, the car that Cody has. I love the car that that, that um, Sonny drives. I like the, the, the fucking bus that is basically armored up like a Sherman tank. You mm-hmm. know, it has a very neat uh, uh, kind of style about it. It's obviously very Road warrior you know, uh, influenced, but sure. yeah, it's, it's a hell of a lot more of, uh, escape from New York meets, meets the Terminator with, with, uh, you know, a, a, a road warrior flair to it. It's just like kind of a blender movie. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, it's a hot mess. I mean, really, I mean, I, I actually wrote that down. Like to me, like the movie to sum up the movie, it's a hot mess. Now doesn't mean I don't like it. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy it, but oh, it's, I, certainly... I can enjoy a hot mess. Oh, absolutely. And it is an enjoyable hot mess. I mean, because of all of this, you know, um, I, I, I think that it was, it's fun. It's well, a fun it's action packed. Yeah. It really starts off into the action and just keeps on going. It like, it never really lets up except for when we get to Cody hitting on uh Christie, it kind of, you know, it kind of slows down a little bit there. You know, right. you know, I mean, you need that, you know, that love interest because it drives up the point of the movie. Her being, you know, Malcolm McDowell's daughter right, you know, right, becomes a major right. plot point by the end. But, you know, it's a part of that that 80s type film where the main lead has to have a love interest. You know, can't just have somebody he's trying to save. It has to be, you know, oh, you know, rich, rich girl meets poor boy. Right. Well, and I think they're trying to I think it was another way of trying to make you identify a little bit more with the Bradley Gregg character. I mean, I'm sure they knew that their audience was mostly going to be adolescent males like we were when this came out. And we watched it. Yep. And so they thought, well, what would what would make a young adolescent identify with this character? How about finding Tracy Lynn attractive? You got me. (laughs) Hook, line, and sinker. You don't even need to buy me the popcorn. I'm there. Uh, a couple of other interesting things, too. I, I'm sure you picked this stuff out, too. Larry Cohen's daughter's in this. Yeah, I did read that. She plays, uh, oh, I forgot the character she plays. She's the, uh, she is uh, the, the, what the, the black gang girls. She's a gang, yeah, she's like the, like the main gal or whatever. I can't, I didn't like write her name down or anything, but I'm like, yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, She's actually a fairly sizable uh, part in the film. In a smaller role was Rose McGowan. Yeah, she played an extra and like no dialogue. It was her first movie, if I remember right. So she's like a featured yeah. extra, basically. Yeah, they would have yeah. her in scenes sitting there like making faces and stuff, but no dialogue. So they wouldn't have to give her any union money. But, you know, but they would make sure that, yeah, she was in those scenes and stuff. Yeah, I do believe was. Did, I, did you say that, too, that that was her first film? It was, her, it was first her first film. film. Yeah, yeah, it was her first film. Right. Because um, she's literally so, like sitting right up in front, like uh, the first time. Like I tried picking her out this time. She's sitting right up in front, right next to Tracy Lynn. In the classroom scene where Pam Greer goes uh, 
crazy on the uh, oh was the razorhead razorhead guy right, i keep right 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 sunny right yeah so, and but, oh yeah. just seeing pam greer too in action just kicking all forms of ass they don't know what they're up against they have no idea what they're up against with her right well that's yeah absolutely absolutely that there, there's a lot of enjoyment look this movie is like uh it, it it's it works as a teen and middle-aged male fantasy. It works for both. It works on both levels because you get to see John P. Ryan put some gangbangers over his knee and spank the shit out of them, which is right. one of my favorite scenes. I'm like, you know how many times I want to do that? And I mean, talk about a cane-waving moment. Yeah, get out of my yard, you know, moment. But I'm like, you know how many times? Yeah, I he was channeling so some many Clint people? Eastwood right about there, wasn't he? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's, it's like order versus chaos in a way, you know, but, but it's almost like you don't really know who's trying to restore the order and who's given the chaos at some point. And Mark Lester even said, he goes, I don't know if this movie is coming from a right wing or a left wing. I have no idea. And he made the damn movie. Right. <laughs> I right. don't even know. Which I, but that's what I like about it. It's just fun. And and I think yeah. that when he even even him saying that is part of what I hate about the world that we live in now. It's like who cares? Just give me an entertaining thing. Let people argue later. You know. Sometimes, it's like, but sometimes you just need beer and popcorn, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. I yeah, like beer and, and popcorn. Right, exactly. And it's not it's not like it's not shying away from anything. It just ain't telling you what to think. It's like look at these idiots. <laughs> you know. Huh. And and it's cool though because it does show a little bit of. Uh, I kind of like the teachers, but then I don't. And I kind of like the kids, but then I don't. Right. You know, but at the end of the day, I'm going to root for the humans because they're on my team. I'm a human. Right. I'm exactly. told, at least. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, only as far as we know, right? <laughs> I could be a hybrid. I mean, I don't know. I, I, but, you know but these yeah. teachers waste no fucking time, though. Like, And you said you like them at one moment because, you know, they're they're entertaining and funny. Yeah, but then, yeah. they, then they literally just start murdering and murdering kids and committing manslaughter <laughs> you know it's like right oh, okay like they're not just administering justice by spanking a kid on the ass or smacking them around the classroom when they're being rowdy now they're like you know breaking kids arms tw twisting right. necks shoving well, all that with that drug i can't remember what was it called edge that everybody was doing that was that was like the weird futuristic drug of choice in this movie oh i can't remember because if i couldn't get my hands on it that it wasn't worth being It but it was yeah. Me. It wasn't real. It wasn't. <laughs> no. It wasn't real. It was. Uh, it's just I, know, I know. I know. I know. That's what I mean. It's like yeah. It's like and I don't. Actually, I it was remember. leftover. Uh, leftover nuke from RoboCop two. I think. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, here's something that's really gonna th throw you, throw you overboard probably. But because I'm gonna take this into a, an area that it doesn't need to be, doesn't deserve to be here. But I'm gonna say this: we're on a we're on a podcast talking about class of 1999. Let's go with this. Did you notice how similar it is to Yajimbo, the the Kurosawa movie, and and yes. how the teachers and, and played... a fistful of dollars? Yeah, yeah, Because they and come how in. The teachers are like the Cheryl Mifune. How the teachers are turning the two gangs against each other until the the kids figure out. They take those kids way too yeah. long to figure out that the teachers are doing this, by the way. But let's let's be 
Maybe that's not the plot hole. The kids are stupid, so maybe they did would take him out. Well, Cody's the only one that figures it out pretty quickly. But of course, what happened? Nobody's gonna fucking believe him. Nobody's gonna fucking believe him. Right, right, exactly. And they're and not gonna so, believe any one of these snot-nosed kids. You know, they're sure. <laughs> they're not gonna believe anybody, but especially not him. He's the one character that's just got out of jail. I mean, come on. Yeah, and he's not in favor with either side very much. I mean, well, there's, 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 he's got a, see, he's a he yeah. saves. Uh, he's saves what's her name christy uh you know tracy lynn's character from being raped you know she's being attacked in the front of the school nobody's helping and the the teacher wants the shit out of him and they want to kick him out of school and 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 send him back to jail for preventing a rape like right um i kind of think he's you know at least at that point the good guy yeah, you'd think so. You yeah. think he would be if yeah, okay, look, will you put that poor boy in the hospital? What, fifteen seconds ago before you called me in here? You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I'm I so curious what the change of heart was for him though, because you know, I, I don't I don't know if it was just like an understood that prison was gonna straighten him out, because it doesn't really happen that way. Again, we're trying to make reality out of a B movie here about robot killer teachers so i mean it is what it is you know but i did find it funny how it is a middle-aged fantasy and a teen fantasy all at once i could watch this and my my 14 year old kid who just started high school this year could watch this and we'd probably enjoy the hell out of it for the opposite reasons and to be frank with you probably enjoyed it for the opposite reasons the first time i saw it when i was closer to his age you know, yeah. I was probably, if this was 1990, I was born in 73. So I was, I don't know, 17 or so when I saw this, you know. And so I, I was way more probably doing that. But I, 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 I already loved John P. Ryan. Um, I like Stacey Keach. And of course, I love Tracy Lynn, too. So, I mean, I was already kind of in. But um, And you know what? You brought up the, the Joshua John Miller guy, too. Uh, who was in Near Dark, and he was also in River's Edge. Yeah, River's Edge. And uh, that there was a little that, bit of everything in this movie, especially casting wise. It was just like yeah. everybody was somebody that I recognized. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, even the right, even the the secondary characters were people that you maybe didn't know exactly where you'd seen them from, yet you knew. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I know I've seen him. I can't remember exactly where. I'll tell you what, the one guy, and I look, here's the thing. Like, I, I long, a long time ago, quit writing down characters, names and stuff for movies, only because whoever's listening, they don't know either. Unless they know this movie really well, in, in which case they're not going to be happy with this anyway, because we're not going to get this right. <laughs> you know? Right. But, yeah. what I, but, but the thing is, is the character, the guy who plays the, uh, the gang leader, on uh the the bradley Gregg's ex-gang that gang leader guy i swear to you i even had to look this up because you couldn't have convinced me otherwise i thought that was a young jimmy kimmel and oh it's not, really it's not i but i had to look he it does up. Yeah, he does kind of look like jimmy kimmel if a little bit now that you mentioned thinking that somebody thinks it's jimmy kimmel it's gonna bother you it's like when someone sings the lyrics to a song wrong and it's funny and then you can never hear the song correctly again you know, like yeah. I had a I had a friend who would sing "Taking Care of Business," but he he thought he was funny, and he would always say "Taking Care of Fizz Fizz," like beer. This was when <laughs> in high school. Taking care of fizz, and I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, he said that to me 30 years ago. I still can't listen to "Taking Care of Business" without going "Taking Care of Fizz Fizz," because <laughs> it's, it's. I have so, songs like that too. Right. I have songs so like basically, that, too, that, that guy now. Decades. Right. That guy now, like that. 
character might as well be on IMDb as Jimmy Kimmel because I just threw that into the ether and it might as well be so at this point, you know. It'd be like part of he, that, uh, what they call it, the Mandela effect. Somebody will like 20 years oh, yeah. be like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel once starred in class in 1999. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, that's gonna, it's gonna have to happen now. I, I was actually on a, uh, a big radio station here in St. Louis promoting one of my music gigs. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually said that that uh, the Dustin Diamond and Michael Diamond from the Beastie Boys were brothers. They're not, but I thought they were. So I'm so I'm on a rock radio station that plays the Beastie Boys, and it was right after Dustin died. And I'm like, yeah, both of them died. What do you mean both of them? Like, you know, it was like, what? what? Hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 what are we talking about? I was like, yeah, the Dustin Diamond and Michael Diamond are brothers. They're not brothers. They're not brothers, <laughs> but I thought they were. So in my head, they were. So I was totally pushing a Mandela effect agenda on a radio stage. I had no idea I was doing it. No idea. If I would have started that whole with Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Genie, you know what I mean? Oh, or Genie Sinbad, movie, yeah, yeah. Or, or Sinbad, Sinbad yeah. Yeah, yeah I, it would have just caused the whole thing to come down. But it was, yeah. So it's funny. But no, I thought that guy was Jimmy Kimmel. He looked just, just like him. But but because he looked familiar. I mean, these people do. They all of them look familiar. I mean, the, the Joshua John Miller guy. Have you seen a recent picture of that guy? Could he look any different than he I did have, when he I was not younger? Seen a, uh, I have not seen a picture of him probably in the last you know, 20 years, I would imagine. Go to IMD. He's a good-looking guy. You know, go go to good, go to IMDb because I, I have to look you, that up at some point because he was uh, he, he was uh, kind of a, a, a chub-like looking, looking human. kid. Yeah, he was a yeah. unique-looking kid, and he was cast so well in his roles as that smarmy, backstabbing little shit. And yeah, he and does look he, uh, pretty goddamn normal now, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so he was so great at playing those, and he wasn't that young either. He he looked a lot younger than he was. So he was, I think he was. He's only like a year younger than I am. So he was like 17 when they were making that movie or something, or 16 or whatever it was. You know, he was definitely, he looks like he's about 12. You know, he's much older than that. Yeah, I was going to say, he looks like he's about 12, 12 in that movie. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he's older than that, you know. But he, boy, I'll tell you what, he had a little spot there in his career where he were, you know, like with Near Dark and all that, where he was a standout. A total standout. I mean, he stands well, I out from Near Dark, from Near Dark in, uh, and River's Edge. And River's, River's Edge, Edge, yeah. Rough movie, rough movie to watch. Yeah, yeah, I River's Edge was a lot like my friends when that came out. Like River's Edge, like I hung around with either a punk crowd or a metal crowd because I like both kind of things of music. For younger people listening, when we were coming up in high school, you had your punk crowd and your metal crowd. They didn't like each other much. I liked both. I liked punk and metal when I was in high school, and so and and my metal friends were just like those people. I mean, I could tell you, like, like from the characters in that film, I could name them people I knew in high school and stuff. So I really liked liked that movie. And to be honest with you, like Repo Man was sort of the the other side of that. Well, my punk friends yeah. were a lot like a lot like that. Like some of them, but Repo Man's a little more Gonzo. It was a little more over the top, you know, about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's right, a little more out there. But one thing, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, a friend of mine, Mark Diamond from the band The Dwarves, uh, who who's a guest on my podcast sometimes. Um, he, he loves these movies like 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 we do too and everything. And 
me and him were one night. Um, uh, he he was he was ch- texting with me about this movie. He was watching this movie, and apparently, which is funny, I'm like one of the only guys he could talk to about movies. <laughs> Because this band, who's always known as being draped in blood and gore and stuff, they don't like horror films. Really? <laughs> they're not really into none of this. No, they're huh. not really into any of it. But he is. He's totally into this stuff, you know. So, um, so he's chatting with me one night about this movie, and me and him had so much fun with the so-called air quotes in the air punk styles <laughs> from these types of movies. Where basically they just throw a bunch of things from their parents' closets together and put like a tie a lot, around a their lot head. Of ripped, a lot of ripped denim. Yeah, ripped, bright colored bandanas in the wrong places, and you know, it's just like it's it's sort of like a, a a junkyard of clothes on people, and that was like it's like somebody went through their grandma's closets or the thrift store. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because. None of them really listen to punk music. You never hear a real punk song in any of these bands, movies at all. And then, I mean, uh, Return of the Living Dead's kind of like that, too. It's like, I mean, it's sort of closer, I guess. But I grew up in the punk rock world, and I don't remember a lot of people looking like anyone did in the movies. I'll put you that way. Not the real punks in the street. you know. So I always got a kick out of that. But we were having fun with the styles and... Uh, you know, and everything like that, too. So they had fun with it in this movie. Oh, it, hell yeah, they did. It was just yeah. like, you know, Lord Humongous's uh, gang met some punk rockers and had like a bunch of illegitimate children. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is this is that I just revisited class of 1984 in the last year or two. I just picked up both of these Blu-rays in the last. Yeah, about the last year or two since the pandemic started, put it that way. And it had been a long time since I seen Class of '84 and '99, by the way, too. But revisiting both of these movies, first of all, they're very, very similar. I did appreciate how the opening of Class of '99 is a basic remake of the opening of Class of '84. I thought and that they, was kind of cool. They, uh, they did that deliberately too. That was yes, not a happy yeah, accident. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you look at it, it's like it's a sequel. And you can't say it's a sequel in name alone because it's the same people making it and stuff. But I the mean, same people making it, and it takes place at the same school. Yes, it's both supposed to be Kennedy High School. Right, right, right. But it, it is a loose, very sequel. oh, very loose. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're different movies. They're very different movies. I wouldn't consider Class of '84 a fun movie at all. No, no, it's, it's a good movie. One, it's a good movie. It's a it's a lot slower, and it's a lot it darker. It is. This movie is. is a lot is is a lot more fast paced, and it's a hell of a lot more fun. Yes, agreed, agreed. So it does have that, and there was a lot of movies that were sequel late eighties movies that were sequels to early eighties movies tend to have that. If you notice, you know, like if you take the Friday the Thirteenth films that were before eighty five. Versus one after, even 84, I'll put in there a little bit. But if you if you start going closer to 90, the seriousness tone goes down and the fun goes up. I mean, part of that was probably the backlash that people were having to these films back then. If you recall, I'm sure you do. The people were real up in arms about oh, the violence. Yeah. Kinda, and sex and violence. Kind of yeah. part about the, the whole satanic panic kind of era of shit. 
Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of there was a lot of uh, and there 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 is today too. There's a, a lot of and the, the fuddy duddies tend to change sides depending on what decade you're in. You know, but the yeah, it usually swings were, the pendulum yeah. swings from one decade to the next. You know, yeah, and they all bitch about the same stuff. It's just whoever feels more whoever feels more superior at that moment, you know, decides to do it. But 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 the thing well, is, yeah, that it was like really you're saying the change from the early '80s, you know, to the yeah. late '80s, you know, definitely made the sh- shift from darker, more violent, more bloody material. But this movie is still dark, bloody, and violent. But there's. Uh, there's a goofiness to it, you know. I think you've called it many times the Evil Dead Two factor. Yeah, absolutely, because that's that's a perfect example of that. I mean, it is a late '80s remake, more or less, or sequel, more or less, to an early '80s film, and and it 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 totally is that. But I think the one thing you said I would disagree with. You said that I don't think I think when you and I it might have just slipped out. But I would take the word dark out of what you said with Class of 99. It's still violent. It's still bloody. But it ain't, it's, I don't think it's dark at all. You know? And no, I, think I, it's, mean, it's, I, I think it's allowing... It, this and I think what they were trying more, to do... More the, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I think vicious is probably more of a, 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 a term that I was looking for at the time. You know, not dark. Where the first movie right. is dark and bleak. This is, you know, it paints a bleak picture of the future, you know. Right. But, again, you know, I mean, the first movie was the teachers versus the, the, you know, was the teachers were the good guys and the students were the bad guys. Now it's kind of swung, you know, that pendulum swung in the other direction. It's set in the same universe with different kind of ideals, I guess. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's it, it literally, to me, is like almost like they're making it. They're not making you feel bad for the people getting killed in this movie, okay? And and so I think what what the filmmakers were trying to do as the '80s pushed on was they were trying to find ways to still put the exploitive elements into their films, but stop people from stop people from accusing them of being sadists. You know what I'm saying? Like it was exactly. almost like they were like they were trying to like for instance, Evil Dead. You brought that up. Well, how do you fix that? Well, don't make the blood red make it black or whatever uh, uh uh street trash the movie street trash i mean everybody was gooey and blue and yellow and stuff yellow and, and purple yeah it's the most disgusting film ever made Shenta. yeah 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 and 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 so it's 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 almost like they were trying to find ways around being accused of being of being the word you put vicious Actually, to me, that's kind of the way I see a lot of this stuff. Um, I mean, I don't think there's an example. I don't think they're uh, alien to aliens. Um, Terminator to Terminator 2. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you keep, I mean, just keep going and going and going. I mean, it, it's just <laughs> I mean, the way we'll it even, was. I'll even take it one further. Chud to Bud the Chud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you're right, though, because Chud, Chud was... Chud had a real uneasy. Chud's a great film. I love Chud, but it has a real. It has an uneasy, uh, serious to goofy r- ratio. It's very strange to me how you know you get John Hurd. He's very, very excellent in his role. He plays that like a professional, and then you put him head to head with Daniel Stern, who looks like he's more stoned than I've ever been. Yeah, uh, like, throughout the entire <laughs> film, you know, and he's just out of his mind. I love it. I love the push and pull. Uh, but then you take, yes, Chud too, and it just decides to throw its arms up and say, nope, we're not even going to bother with anything but just <laughs> ridiculousness, you know? Um, yeah. 
Night of the Creeps is a movie that's like that. You know, it's it, it's just fun. It's like it's like they all went back to the fifties and tried to make it more edgy. In a yeah, way, it's like they took a more of a you know a fifties big monster movie approach to it. In the right. manner of speaking, but your big right. monsters are the teachers, you know, it, it's simply. Right. And in 84, Class of 84 to me was a big budget grindhouse film where Class of 99 to me is more like that. They're just taking, it's just goofy. It's just a roller coaster ride. It's just fun. It's just they're, they're they don't care anymore. They're just, they're not trying to hurt your feelings. They're not trying to make it feel yeah. bad. They're trying to just make it smile I mean, and laugh a little bit. It's like taking the movie, the original 1984, and just say, you know what this movie needs? Three Terminators. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right. Why does it need three Terminators? Because we need three times the box office. <laughs> Why right. not? You know, um, but that we need to have the, th we have the right. need have, have the need to have three really bad motherfuckers in it. So there's got to be three robots. Right. It's a uh, joy. The joy of these films. There is something else in this film, and I've never heard anyone comment on this, and this is the first time I'm going to comment on it anywhere except for sitting next to Angie, is that there is a trope in these action films uh, that I've never heard discussed. We've heard about the Wilhelm scream. I think we might yeah. have even discussed the fact how people pull up in cars and never shut their lights off or turn their or close their door. Yeah, we that, talked about that. We have okay, talked about yep. the fact that people pay for goods and services in movies and never ask for their change or get any change back. Right, right. Paying uh, the cash. Nobody answers the phone in the normal way. Nobody says hello. Yep. N nobody does that. I don't know why. No one says goodbye when they hang the phone up. Nope, uh, nobody the phone's says hello or goodbye. Ring the right way half the time. Now, it, it took me 20 <laughs> years to figure out how phones rang in Britain because I watched so many British movies. I just thought that was a movie. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> so here's one for you. I you name me an action film, and this is gonna this is gonna get to you. It's gonna enter your ether. It's not gonna let go because right. this to me is more common than a Wilhelm scream. This to me is more common than hearing this phrase in a horror film. This place gives me the creeps. Now we know that's a trope, right? We know that's almost a virtue signal of horror fans, right? Right, right. The, 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 or I've, got, okay, or so, the, I've got a bad feeling about this kind of mode. Yeah, absolutely. So you usually hear is this place gives me the creeps. Okay? So here's the thing. So in an action movie, there is always, always, it's a rule. It's a rule. And I'm talking about PM Entertainment up to Warner Brothers. Uh, it is a rule if there is an action scene going on, especially if people are running or driving in a car, you hear a series of three goes go 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 yeah go yeah. go 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 like that and so when me and Angie are watching a movie i look over at every action film and go there it was three goes three goes three not it's ten always, yeah it is always three isn't it three goes go 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 uh any war film where they're they're trying to make up ground and there's explosions going on around them you hear the sergeant whoever is leading the troops go 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 yeah. yeah, never once, never twice. It is always three. It's I always guess I go. I never really considered it until you said it. Until you said it. Now, now it's like, now I'm going to be looking for it in every movie from Class 99 Part 2 to, like, you know, the next, you know, Terminator. Well, it is, it is in this film. And it is when they are in the very beginning of the film when they're going to school and they have to drive through the, the gauntlet of, oh, yeah. of other students 
And the passenger kid, his friend, who doesn't make it long in the film, but the passenger friend, uh, uh, he when they're driving and they're getting shot at, he goes, go, go, go. And I looked over <laughs> and she's like, there it was. There's a go, go, go. And she's, and she, the first time I said this to her was about a year or two ago. And she laughed a little bit. And now she's like, you're right. It's like, it's an, I go, yeah. And this place gives me the creeps is in about 90% of horror films. You know what else is in about 90% of horror films or action films? If there's John a Carradine. Well, oh, John sorry. Carradine. Yeah, John Carradine. That's the other thing. <laughs> but if there's a coroner scene, you can guarantee the coroner's or the mortician is going to be eating. Yeah, a sandwich. Yeah, yeah he's going to be eating a sandwich that he will at least the other half of the time probably set down on the body itself. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Like, like we used to uh, on my old show, Tim and Harley show, we would talk about that all the time. That they would that that every time you're right, and it, it was it's always to show, it's always to show how at ease the mortician is with working his job. Yeah, and yeah, and and to gross you out. It's it's the same thing, and it. It's like eating it in the bathroom, like, you know, ooh, why would you do it? Just why? Why would you do it? Right, right. Well, and my, my theory with the go, go, go thing, it is a, it's an artificial uh, uh, momentum booster of a scene. So if, if you're sitting there and all of a sudden you hear, go, 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 you, you jump up, like, where, where, where am I going? Where am I going? It's a yeah. natural response. It's like if you watch, if you, uh, see if you notice this. Have you watched professional wrestling and realized whenever someone takes a body slam, the camera zooms in? Yep. Or when they that's the same. somebody punches somebody, they stomp their feet. Well, that's that's a technique that, that the wrestlers themselves use. But the actual cameras, especially, right. they started it in the Japanese wrestling. Japanese wrestling did this constantly. And now the American wrestling uh, 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 shows do this too. Whereas if somebody takes like a big hit or they take a slam, the camera zooms in at the same exact moment. And it is to it's to artificially accentuate the bump, and the go 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 thing is speeding the scene up a little bit because otherwise you got people staring forward. Yeah, yeah. But you got yeah, to get something. them on the edge of their seat, get them to yeah. white knuckle it, you know. Right, right. Anyway, I just thought I would break. I, I love little. That is, that is a good point. Now, now I'm going to be looking for that every action movie we we watch. I love. I, 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 I love. I was, yeah. I was contemplating on watching Class of 99 Part 2 after we finished this review tonight. Uh, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, yeah, like it, it's on Tubi. I'll, I'll watch it, you know, I'll stream it for free. Just as, now I'm going to be looking for that. Because I know there's a couple of those big action scenes like that, especially when there's people machine gunning and fighting and driving in, you know, in 100 different directions. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to get that at least once, I bet. Right. I, I'll, I'll actually probably... Uh, Single out the scene in part two when I get it and send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. What now? Now, when's the last time? You, now, th this was interesting because before we started this podcast, for people listening, I told you that I had totally forgotten that there was a direct sequel to Class of '99 itself. So it'd almost be like a third movie. Although I think this is much more of a direct sequel. But there was a Class right. of '99 part two, and you seem to remember that. I don't remember it. I remember I, I remembered there was one when I saw it. Like I saw it on IMDB. I'm like, oh, that's right. There was a part two. I don't have any recollection. Do you remember it at all? Very vaguely. I just remembered it was it starred Sasha Jensen or Sasha Mitchell, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And it was about and it was a and, you know about another, you know, uh, robot, you know, teacher that had been like left over from the other 
from the previous movie. And I mm-hmm. thought he was supposed to be some relation to uh, Stacy Keach's character from the first like movie. His, was it so like his son supposed the... to be like a son or something like that? Or Yeah, I thought so, but I don't okay. remember a lot of it. it. It's basically about, you know, it's, it's a lot of uh, bad, uh, you know, karate, you know, because that's kind <laughs> right. of what Sasha Mitchell did yeah, you know, back right, in the day. Right, but to right. be honest, I don't really remember it a whole lot. I only watched it a couple of times. I find myself watch, watching this movie. And I mean, the, like, there, there is the fact that it does take place at uh, Kennedy High School because it's supposed to be like a couple of years later. Right. Because I heard that it should have been called Class of 2001. Because it did, I think. Oh, was it really? Say no. It was a. It should have been. That's what I had read. That it should have been named that because it does say two years or something after class of ninety nine. You would think that it would be two thousand one. Ah, okay, okay. So that's what people were kind of complaining, saying it's sort of like the the Friday the Thirteenth timeline, (laughs) where where, you know we really ought to be in like twenty five thirty six right now. If we when you talk about Friday the Thirteenth, because it like ten years go by between a movie between like two parts of the film that are all like a year apart in real time. Yeah. You, because you know, like, yeah. yeah. Jason lives is supposed to be taking place in the mid nineties, even though it was like filmed what in 86. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So there's, there's yeah, a little bit of that. I don't remember I mean, a lot really about it. Hairs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're over nothing here, <laughs> but I mean, that's just curious. But, you, you know, maybe one day we'll cover me. that movie just for shit. You know, maybe we'll cover yeah. it for shits and giggles. I just right. remember it about be- that. The character Sasha Mitchell played was like, became super like a possessive of this one uh, teacher that was there and kind of like focused on her, like as, you know, his, his white knight kind of thing. Like she was, you know, mm-hmm. the only person, you know, the only person in the school worth protecting. So she right. was, you know, kind of, not even so much a love interest as he just became super possessive of her. Right. Was, right. But there, there is, I mean, well, there is a, there is a kind of a twist at the end, but I don't want to ruin that for you if you ha- if you don't remember having seen it's, it. I I don't know if I will see it again. But but the, the it you know I got I got to be honest though that the, the class of '84 was a cult film. It's, it's it was like a night flight film to me. Like it was a it was a big grindhouse movie. And it was like um, West Side Story done grindhouse style. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and it is. It's a serious, it's a serious, I mean, it's, it's serious. It's a serious film. Oh, um, serious as a heart attack, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like this is the opposite of that. It really is the goofy, the goofy science fiction version of the first film. But it does, it does take way more of the plot points from Yanjabo or something like that, which is interesting to me. It's just interesting. You know, it's like to see a goofy B movie like this, even if it didn't know it was borrowing from that story, it certainly is a lot. Well, yeah, because when the teachers finally figure out that, the, I mean, they do figure out it at one point, and I think it's John P. Ryan's character, Higgins, or mm-hmm. uh, not Higgins, what the hell is it, Hardens? Uh, yeah, it was uh, Harden. Yeah, Harden. Mr. Harden. Yeah. Yeah, like, like when he name. basically, Mr. Harden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I bet there was some nicknames for him on set. I bet there was a few <laughs> nicknames for him on set. I got a few rolling around right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, John P. Harden. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, when he comes up with the idea of pitting them against one another, the first thing I thought of was, was not Yohimbo, but was uh, 
fistful of dollars, you know, with Clint Eastwood, which was just again a, a loose adaptation of that. Yeah, it was. Know, the gang, you know, the the gunslinger that comes into town and pits two gangs against one sure. each another so that they take each other out. Right. That's basically, I mean, what they do, and it does work because that there's that, that that scene that comes up, you know, where everybody is just spending rounds like there's no tomorrow. I want to know where all these kids in the future got all that like military grade hardware. That's a good question too. It was the eighties. Yeah, they probably just yelled <laughs> down the street and just be like, I "Need an Uzi? Got an Uzi? Looking for an AK?" Yeah, I. That's an interesting one. And then there was also the plane fuselage that was laying in the middle of the road. I don't know where that came from. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. There was. Uh, you know, it's cool though that that neighborhood uh, was. I think it was one of those deals where it was at like at the end of a runway close enough to where they they i think the the um airport basically bought the homes and so it was really like an abandoned neighborhood that they used which is kind of cool they did that for the movie suburbia as well oh really yeah and i don't know i don't think it was the same one i think i'm pretty sure suburbia was filmed in la but um this was seattle that's an interesting place you know it's funny how you get this movie and I mean, it wasn't a tiny budget movie. It wasn't a, I mean, you know, let's see what it says. A budget says here, $5.2 million. That's a bigger low budget film, especially for back yeah. then. Yeah. You know, and uh, they didn't, and, and they were, you, you, you hear them complaining about, you know, how it rained every day. It's Seattle. Yeah. Did like, you do did your nobody homework at think, all? think of that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, did you, you didn't do your homework at all? Like, that's what's this would be like shooting in Maine and being like, God, why is this so foggy all the time? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm like, um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, you (laughs) think with all that money, somebody would have went, uh, hey, Mark. Yeah. You know, it rains a lot there. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Better bring extra flashboards. (laughs) (laughs) Something, you know. It's like, uh, but you know, it, it, it does work a little bit, but you can kind of see the movies very overcast. You know, it's very, you know. But I think but, it works, um, it works it with the movie. You know, it's supposed to be a semi kind of bleak future. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I think it works, you know, being overcast and kind of looking a little bit like Gotham City. Right, right. Um, it's a fun movie. I mean, you know, when you really look at it, it is a typical 80s wisecracking villain movie where really the villains are more interesting than the, the hero ever would be you know because really bradley gray he's a good actor i'm not again i'm not dissing the guy i don't think he was cast well i don't really i don't know especially as as the movie goes further and further and further and he's supposed to be more agitated <laughs> well he's supposed to be more agitated and more bent on revenge i start the crack starts showing to me in that casting decision i'll put you that way that's a very yeah. diplomatic way of saying i don't think he was equipped for the end of that film you know uh like when he finds his brother dead you know he that's a good moment it's a good, yeah. he freaks out he freaks out and spit and stuff i get that that's i feel that but then to see him as like a tough guy action star that's oh boy yeah running hard. around with machine guns and throwing hand grenades and it's just, yeah, you know. And he's got to throw the hand grenades with two hands. He's so small. <laughs> right, Almost. right. Like, it just is hard. Yeah, it just it's doesn't hard. work. Yeah, it's, it's a little tough. It doesn't ruin the movie at all. And, and I think no. that's, a, that's a testament to he's a good actor. He is a good actor. I'm not saying that, but it, so he does his best. I mean, he, I mean, I don't know if anybody else could have done as well as him 
given the situation that he was in. But it's it's still kind of eh. But like was cool about Christian it. Slater and Stephen Dorff just weren't available that month. <laughs> yeah, but at least, and I, I hate to kind of put it in these terms, but I mean, at least they were a draw. I mean, at least that was a name. Like you understand. Uh, if they would have used Christian Slater, they would have used Stephen Dorff. At, how old was Stephen Dorff back then? How oh, old was God. he in the gate? Because he was a little God, kid in the gate. God, I don't know. I would imagine he was probably about nine or ten in the gate. So if we, right. to, we we can pull it back to last uh, night. We were, we, where were we? We were talking about Cody and da, 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 the, the war zone at high noon. Yeah, yeah. the war zone at high noon sequence. Where we, yeah. And I think this also bears uh, some resemblance to like what we were saying about Yohimbo and a fistful of dollars because it's called high noon. You know, it's you know mm-hmm. they get that kind of rough, that uh, Western reference. But the, the teachers, the three of them, they all show up the, to take everybody out. And they take out about, what, 90% of the gang with very many people left. And, like, so many squibs, so right. many bullets, so many blanks, and so many fucking explosions. I think this is where probably a good million dollars of that $5 million budget went. Oh, yeah. That and the, the effects that I think are top-notch. The practical yeah. effects in this. They're, the. See if you feel me on this one. The moment where I think it was Patrick Kilpatrick's character, where he literally takes his fingers and digs into his arm and pulls his arm skin off. Yeah, that looked real to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean it looked I, real. I was like, "Ooh, that was a that's just a real little moment." But man, it was good. Like however they did that skin and put the, and they put the hair on and everything. I'm yeah, like, holy a lot crap! Of the that effects looks really look good. I mean, even when it starts getting ridiculous and they're like they're falling apart and they're getting shot, you know, and like when Pam Greer pulls her, her insides pretty much halfway out and walks mm-hmm. around with her, you know, this, her entire torso just ex- exposed right. wire and metal. It right. doesn't, it just doesn't look like a bunch of, it doesn't look cheap. It doesn't look like a bunch of, you know, cheap wiring and aluminum foil thrown, <laughs> thrown no, you're together. Right. The only time that I think that happens is in the is in the, the the climax of the film when he's battling the roboted out robot. Wasn't that Patrick Kilpatrick's character? Yeah, Mister Bryles. The only reason, though, that it doesn't that it looks a little cheap is because you can't watch that without comparing it to the Terminator. Oh, you yeah. can't because it's basically a, a homage, if not a straight ripoff of the end of Terminator. I mean, where else are you going to go with this? He's fighting monsters, right. of course, or he's fighting robots. Of course, you're going to turn into a robot robot fight. Yeah, but that exactly. does, and I don't think it's a budgetary thing. I just think the design was a little hokey. It, it seemed like the 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 measurements were off, like the head wise, you know, that was torn yeah. halfway off. It didn't seem like it matched because he pulls 
his head back when, like, at the opening with uh, Malcolm McDowell's character, the principal. Yeah, that's a neat little moment. Yeah. When he pulls his, like, his face back and you see the, the endoskeleton underneath. Mm-hmm. It takes you out of it because later on when he gets exposed and he's, like, half his head is gone, you know, the, the fleshy part, mm-hmm. it doesn't match. It doesn't mm-hmm. match up logistically wise at all. It's just like, oh, that's really misshapen. It's mm-hmm. really the only time it does kind of fall apart. But with, but like when they start breaking down the final battle, and Pam Greer's character, but I think it was Miss Connors, when she pulls off her her arm melts and it exposes mm-hmm. the flamethrower underneath. That looks good. When Bryles mm-hmm. exposes his like rocket launcher under his arm. That looks good. I mean, hell, when they blow apart Mr. Harden's head and his head just like explodes from having a new a full clip from an Uzi emptied into it at point blank range. I guess that's one way to defeat these things. <laughs> but right. You know, but that all looks good. But you're right. They're in that final battle. It did it just logistically was kind of a nightmare. I think yeah. it just it didn't match up. Mm-hmm. It, it just yeah, it looked a little goofy. It did look a it, little goofy. I don't want to say it betrayed the rest of the film, but it it reminded you this is not a big budget movie, and it really didn't do that until the very 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 end. You yeah. know where you're like, oh yeah. In a movie of this yeah. ilk, if it if it fools you nine times out of ten, it's doing its job. I think. Right. You almost you almost you almost think maybe they should have like had a thing where like they ripped off like a shoulder. And one arm and the headpiece, and so like the shoulder and the head and the arm were like a robot part, and so that you could intersplice it with the real actor with different angles to get a little bit more, you know, like the old Tom Savini thing. Use as much as the real actor as you can, right? You know, in this one, it was this. obvious that they were using full animatronics. By yeah, that, that that end scene after the after the they run him over with the bus and he, the big explosion happens. Is this right? It, well, it becomes the whole operating that. Oh really? Yeah, I mean, there's like ten guys. Yeah, it does, doesn't say it doesn't so. surprise me that much. That doesn't surprise no, me. but it makes it more awkward moving when you got ten guys in unison. You can't get ten guys to do anything in unison. I play in a band, I know, and you can't <laughs> do it. And you know, so that makes it a little awkward too. I mean, again, I think we're splitting hairs a little bit, but that's what you do when you critique a film. I know, but there is that. I mean, there is like. It isn't, yeah, look, we're, nit- thing. we're nitpicking a little bit. Yeah, this isn't a great film. Uh, it's not a perfect film, but it's a fun movie. It's an entertaining. It does what a movie to me should do. It entertains you and it's funny and silly. Yeah, it's never boring and it's never no. not and never not interesting. Right. It's always it's right. always engaging. Right. And if and, you can't if you can't see John Ryan and Stacy Keach having fun in this movie, I mean. I don't think of a heartbeat or pulse because. Oh yeah, they're having a two, great time. Oh, it's a it to me watching those two in this movie makes the whole thing worthwhile. Makes it worth it. And kudos to Malcolm McDowell for allowing them to do that. Yeah, for allowing them to kind of. I'm not saying they upstaged him, but he he played a character that was just unusually low key. He did his job. Yeah, he was and, oh, what they I, call. A, giving actor at that moment he yeah. allowed them to do their th- he allowed stacy keach he wanted that yeah. role too mm-hmm. i remember reading that he had actually auditioned or they wanted him for bob forst dr bob forst the stacy keach plays but that he wanted uh he wanted the low-key part he wanted
uh, principal. So good for him to be like, hey, you know, I'll let you guys take the driver's seat on this one. And I'm not saying that he doesn't do a great job. It's just, like I said, unusually low key for what he is uh, used to giving us. Right, right. Well, you know, a funny little story, too, that kind of ties into what we were talking about with Bradley Gregg. Because if you look at Malcolm McDowell, he's not a giant thing either. You know, I mean, like, like he's he's. He's much yeah. more of a presence. He has more he has more screen presence than Bradley Gregg does a little bit. But what I'm saying is that Mark Lester claims his favorite movie was Clockwork Orange. So he wanted to work with Malcolm McDowell. And he knew that they were having trouble making Bradley Gregg into someone who the audience was going to have to root for. Like he 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 was really struggling with this, you know, because he knew that it was his this was going to be his the hard part of his job in this movie was to get people to identify with anybody. Malcolm McDowell brought up a great point because he Mark Lester apparently asked him, you know, like, help, you know, give me give me something here. What he goes, you have to make him charming. He goes, you know, like uh, in Clockwork Orange, we've been Alex charming. He wasn't a good guy. You didn't want to be him. You, you maybe didn't want to be friends with him, but he was charming. He could charm people. And he goes, so, and I think that that is lacking in, in his character as well. And I think Malcolm McDowell was trying to help a little bit saying, yeah, you, you have a character here. This is a, this is a difficult, one of those difficulties in writing and in characterization. How do you do this? How do you pull this off and not, not complete it with the complete story? How do you pull this off and pull people's emotions to the point where they are identifying with this character when there's nothing redeeming at all. This kid just wants to stay out of jail. Yeah. I don't but, think he has two cares about hurting somebody else and doing anything. He just wants to stay out of jail. It's he he's not, he's doing this for himself, not for the sake of humanity. Well, yeah, he's doing it for selfish reasons. And right. then it's not really until they kill uh, uh, Joshua John Miller, you know, his little brother's character, Angel. It's not really doesn't become personal for him until that point right right well and and even then as an audience you're watching this going yeah but his character kind of was gonna die anyway i mean you, you look i mean you just look at it from sort of a stereotypical kind of point of view and you look at it like well he was he was being initiated in a gang to begin with so his odds of living through this were low to begin with, so well, they beat him half the death just to initiate him into the gang. It just made me kind of realize, it's like, yeah, b- being in the gang, they definitely at, at least they don't make it glamorous. They they don't right. make it glamorous in this movie because my my god, the the beating they give him is so fucking severe. <laughs> well, I tell you what, when I get around to forming my adolescent street gang, which it's got it it hasn't happened yet, I'll get around to it. Just give me a minute, and I'll I'll do it. But when I when I get around to forming my own adolescent street gang, my initiation is going to be to have the person who wants to be in my gang. It's going to be for him to go beat up someone twice his own size. <laughs> I don't want a guy go. in my gang that can get his ass kicked by me. I want a guy in my gang who can kick everyone else's ass. I'm afraid of. <laughs> That's what a gang is for. You know, you don't send him to beat up. up somebody like the size of the rock, and if he comes back alive, then he's he's good. <laughs> He's, he's here on my team. You can take that kind of abuse. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. But yeah, so, but you know, again, we're just pointing but, out little interesting yeah, little but, but again, we're nitpicking. Stuff. When a movie that breaks it down at the end, we had, <laughs> yeah, you know, 
Pam Greer with a, a flamethrower arm. You got Patrick Kilpatrick with a rocket launcher arm. You know, <laughs> when you start yeah. getting into that kind of wackiness, you, you, you really just got to not think too much. It will hurt your brain. But I'm not right. saying it's not fun. I mean, right. oh, God. flamethrower arms, rocket launchers in, in this shoulder. I mean, and let's not forget, Harden's got that phantasm sphere arm with the drill bit in it that's like, Still no match for a full clip Uzi to the face. Right, right. Well, but one thing I got to say, this movie has, we were talking, you're talking movie tropes. Yeah. You know, earlier. This has the movie trope of, it's not until the cyborg starts getting damaged, or the android or robot, whatever, that they start making the, the, the RoboCop noise. Oh, right, right. When they right. move everywhere. Like, all it takes is for them to be shot once, or to have one little bit of exposed... <laughs> endoskeleton and uh the, then the just everything you hear all those sound effects and they get right. their money's worth out of those fucking sound effects they, you mean they 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 shot through their soundproof skin yeah <laughs> where you couldn't hear that before i've never actually thought about that before but that's a good point too yeah that's a good one it's like yeah <laughs> you're the, right the skin though must be soundproof you must have an airtight asshole and an airtight alibi, I guess. Right, right, right. right. Uh, but it's full-on yeah. Terminator by the end. I mean, it really is. Uh, Forrest, you know, he's a motherfucker. He, yeah. You know, I, I like the fact that though he kills uh, Malcolm McDowell's character, the principal, you know, that they will, he orders mm-hmm. him to kill him. That, like, essentially when he pops up there at the very, very end, you know, to kind of, like... I mean, Stacey Keach is essentially given his James Bond villain speech. He gets killed by Bryles, too. Like, and, like, you didn't know that was coming. You know what I mean? Right. That was right. just like, yeah, you knew he was going to meet the it, the end, not by any of the gang members or anybody else. It was going to be by one of the robots. You just knew it. It was kind of a, almost kind of like a Westworld kind of thing, too. A little well, bit. and that's a trope as well. I mean, really. I mean, I mean we're getting it. Like, the robot subgenre of horror is there. I mean, it's definitely oh, yeah. there. There's Saturn and three. There's all kinds of movies like this, you know. So, so hell, even aliens, you know, having to deal with you know cybernetic or android organisms or artificial people. <laughs> yeah, it's to the point where weren't they trying to combine the Blade Runner universe and the Alien universe at one point, or or something? I, I thought so. I, I thought don't know, Scott, but that sounds I like something Scott they would probably try. That. Yeah, I thought that. When you stop and think about it, they could do it because he had cyborgs and alien, and then you had Blade Runner. Yeah. And so they were trying to. I'd be down for that. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, see, I probably wouldn't, but it was interesting to me to hear. So if I'm not mistaken, what I had heard, and I this could be completely, it could be a rumor that I heard about because I I can't, I have no I have no source for this because I, I don't remember where I saw this, but I had heard that he was when he was doing. Uh, Prometheus, that the whole point of these movies was to not only do more alien movies, but was to bridge alien and the Blade Runner films because he believed, I'm not mistaken, wasn't there also a, there was a newer Blade Runner movie that yeah, came that, out that came in the last out about, 10 years? It, yeah, it came out like three or four years ago. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I was, uh, that's what I was under the assumption or that's what i was under the impression i i found an article here i i was a pretty long article but i did find an article which says alien shares a shared universe with blade runner how the movies connect i will send it to you there via you messenger 
There you go. See, so that's that's what I had heard. Now, I I am not a fan of doing that kind of thing. Um, I don't like. I have zero use for Jason versus Freddy or whatever. I have, <laughs> I don't want to see, see I, Michael I, Myers I, I get into a wrestling match with like Leatherface. Kind of like that stuff. I, that's fine. I mean, I know a lot of people do. I I I'm um horror movies to me and comic books weren't the same thing, and so. I feel like those movies are comic book movies. They're fighting movies. They're action movies. Like they're guilty pleasure movies. They're fantasies. They're fan like, you know, my dad could beat your dad up. Type, you know, could 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 or could beat up the shark in Jaws. You know, I mean, it's it's like one of those things. So you finally film it, and it's never going to satisfy anybody. You know, uh, King Kong no. versus Godzilla. King Kong versus Godzilla is a great example of that. Now that movie's so bad and stupid that it's it's fun to watch, you know. But oh, it's ridiculous. For the most part, it's, it's entertaining. I don't. Yeah, but for the most part, I don't enjoy that kind of thing. Like, um, it's what killed me about the Wolfman remake. You know, was that they turned it into an, an action movie? They turned it into a superhero movie by the end, and they were fighting. There was werewolves fighting and stuff like that. It's like, oh, come on, man, just stop, just stop. Just because you have CG doesn't mean you can, doesn't mean you, sh- just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. I don't agree you know? with that. So I, 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 I don't like that overblown stuff. It's almost like, just make another dog's, just make a different movie, man. Just make a, the werewolf versus a werewolf or something. I don't know, you know, don't. Yeah, the only bait, time it, it seriously worked me. for me was like when they started doing the universal horror mashups. I do it. I do admit to being big fan. A big fan of some of those. Oh, like you, know, you mean like the actual man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are fun to watch. Yeah, they're they're. I guess my point is though, to me, the Wolfman was bait and switch. Oh yeah. So the Wolfman to me didn't resemble a horror film by the, it was halfway through or three quarters of the way through. You're, you're talking it, to like the Benicio del Toro one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it became a, it, it was, it was a huge fight at the end. Like, and I know that in the original Wolfman, I, I get it. Claude Rains is, I, I understand that it's a, it's an amped up version of what you saw in that film, but it's so amped up to the point where it's like, Oh God, it's, what is this? What am I looking at? You know, I, to me, it's like, if I want to, I want to remake something. I don't want to see how different I can make it. I want to see how much, how close I can make it, and and just update the the update with the tools I have now. They didn't have then. So right, right. We may be talking about you know I I, I hate to, to me that's even kind of got the window because now they use CG. The thing is a great example. Of of all this, and I, I always get into the the I always use the thing as an example when I'm talking about all this stuff because the thing is based on a book, so right away we have something different. It's it's but it's much more like the book than and the interesting than than the than the 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 Howard Hawks version, the Kristen Nyby directed version. It's much more like like the book is. So I give that one a pass because of that. But if you look at the what I liked about the the prequel, the thing prequel that came out in like 2011, a lot right, of people right, did right. not like that. 
I, I thought it was okay. Hey, I, I didn't. Lo- I didn't love it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. This is one of the few modern films that I actually applauded and thought it was great. Why? Because I don't know how much more sp- painstaking, pain, painstakingly. I don't know how they got that to match so perfect with Carpenter's movie. They clearly loved Carpenter's film. They clearly wanted you to be able to watch those movies back to back like it's seamless. And I yeah, love that. One, yeah, I the, think, it, right. That, that's great. I couldn't even, when I, I watched the first like two seasons of Walking Dead, I couldn't even watch two episodes of Walking Dead and try to figure out what was going on in the previous episode. I'm like, uh, what about all the unanswered questions from the last episode? Why did they just forget that story? Oh, they do do that a lot, don't they? And, and Even the though thing I is, admit to being a Walking Dead fan, I will admit that. But uh, that's something they do that infuriates me. They just leave so many storylines just hanging. Well, and we we've discussed, you know, the 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 whole thing about I don't watch TV anyway because of this because I don't want to have to keep coming back every week. But it's annoying enough to feel like I have to come back every week to keep being told the same fucking story over and over again. But it becomes twice as annoying when they break that the story and uh, no i want to know what happened to that oh for god's sake now what are we doing here you know i mean it just it just it's just kind of like it, it's like whoa, 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 you know and so anyway but i i think we've gotten fairly far away from glass of 99 as we always do but i'm just saying that oh, wait, it, yeah it, it, it But so I don't even know how I got this far away from it. <laughs> class of 99. <laughs> but um, I guess trying to get back to class of 99. Um, it has, I think it's a respectable sequel because it makes sense in a high school setting to have a turnover of every single character from the first film. Right. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. You, if you go back to your high school, you want. To, you won't see probably any of the same teachers. You certainly, hopefully, won't see any of the same students. Unless they really shouldn't be in school. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying, though? That it makes sense. You wouldn't have the same principal. You wouldn't. I mean, this school would look different. Well, you know? I mean, it's obviously um, supposed to be 15 years later. So Right, right. Yeah, there wouldn't be anybody there. New. You would think that the administration would change over. Sure, the, the, sure. Over time. And the students, absolutely. obviously, by then. Right, and and things weren't going well in the first film when it came to society and stuff. Because if I'm not mistaken, wasn't class of nineteen was that eighty two that came out in class of nineteen? Yeah, eighty two. Yep. Okay, so so that movie was t- taking place. To me, this sort of reminds it. It, it does remind me of the uh, you know we're talking about sequels to sequels and comparing the two. Class of eighty four is like Mad Max. Class of ninety nine is like Road Warrior. Because Mad Max took place what, a couple of, yeah, like a couple of years in the future, and Road Warrior was who knows how much longer it was. Yeah, they never really say. I mean, Not really. You know, you, you can assume it's you know probably more than five, less than ten. You know, but still, you don't Something, really know. Right, but but where it was, 
Class of 99 isn't really supposed to be taking place in the future future. It's just taking place next year when things have kind of, things have happened in the last year. You know what I mean? It's like, it's still the same cars. It's still the same, you know, people don't have phones, like, on their watches like we do now. You know, but they, they didn't, right. they, they're not, they're not, they don't have Star Trek stuff. There isn't flying cars or anything. It's There's just, no big uh, leaps and bounds in technology. Right, right. And to be, fr- to be fair... There's really not much in this film either. Not in the way, I mean, they're still using rotary phones. Hey, I mean, I mean, even we though actually, the mom didn't pay yeah. the bill, the mom did not pay the bill. I remember that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I, and so you get actually in '99 we had more technology than they were than than they were looking forward to in this film. Yeah, so, so the future didn't. I mean. The, May not have ended up where we wanted it, but it ended up a little bit better than they they had it in '99. I mean, it's at least I, I think it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they didn't really have much. And the the new technology was the the Android teachers. You know, that was it. Right. That was the real new technology. Everything else was just kind of like a Mad Max movie. It was all kind of repurposed, right? You know, uh, well, there's the artificial intelligence, which I think that now we are dealing with. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. we are dealing with artificial intelligence. Every time anybody goes and every every anytime you post when this show, when you release this show and it goes up on Facebook, you're dealing with artificial intelligence right there. I mean, you're just dealing with with all the bots and you're dealing with all the algorithms and everything else that is going to allow who is going to see your post if you didn't pay to post it you know and that is a form of artificial intelligence it's it's doing it's it's um you know it's uh, think it's doing thinking on its own it's you know? very like minimalist thinking yes but it is it is doing a form of that you know for and you it is kind well. of scary it's, it's scary, kind of scary to think about where you know ai could end up in say another you know five years or another 10 years at least i personally find the idea of, of artificial intelligence kind of scary I, I i do have a fear of ai and of robotics and things and not not like an irrational fear um i i like to call it more of an apprehension than yes. a fear i think is, is i have robot it. hesitation <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as, as we would term it today, I have the, I have very much robot hesitation. Uh, I'm there with you. I'm there yeah, with you. Yeah, I mean, because it gets to the point where do you want to be the legend of what used to be on the planet and the robots running everything? Because it could be seen as a, as a a part of evolution. True. True. I mean, it could be the next stage. I mean, it's difficult to say, but it could be. I mean, to me, what's the difference? Life seems to be defined by movement or growth. So (laughs) the robots can move on their own. Well, now they need energy. Well, you need food. So stop that. You know, it's just a different form of energy. Energy is just another form of fuel for power. No, exactly. So, I mean, once the robots are, are autonomous, like, they kind of were trying to be in this film. You got a new, almost new species. It's just made of metal instead of, and it has a fridge full of WD forty instead of food. Yeah, yeah. great little I scene like too. That. By the it way, it was. Yeah, well, that was, was good. When they, it has the the canisters of Freon, and then the the, the cabinets full of WD forty. I mean, is it really any different than us and having a gallon of milk, a you know, a dozen eggs in the fridge? 
Right, right. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they, that, that was a kind of, the whole thing about them going off campus and not being able to be monitored and having that apartment and everything, I think is what bothered me the most about the film. Like if there's something I didn't like, that's what I didn't like. I mean, and I know I'm, I, again, I know I'm splitting a hair here, but that one thing I didn't like, I was like, oh man, that's just, I don't know. That's a hell of an oversight. Yeah, you know? to, to me, they could have <laughs> yeah. they worked that out a lot differently and a lot better for, for you know, Cody's character and Tracy Lynn's character, you know, to, to, to find out the information they needed. They could have right. worked it out in a much more, I hate to say the term, believable way because so much in this movie is not believable. So saying that right. I want something done a little bit more believable, it just, I don't know, something not so superfluous, I guess, is maybe the term right. I'm looking for. I don't want it like to be realistic, you know? And I, I think, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of agreeing with you in a way. Like, I'm not, it's not that. It's just, you didn't need to have that there. Like, you, you, it could have been monitored and it could have been even more fun. I thought the scenes with the guys when they were monitoring the students were kind of fun. You know, and I, I think you could have, like, you could have expanded that to, you know, like, when they were off campus and when they were, like, when they were messing up the gang war between the two gangs and killing all of them, there could have been people monitoring that, freaking out. I yeah, know, it would have been. It would have been kind of a neat kind of thing. I would appreciate it more footage like that. You know, them just like, God, they're killing everyone. You know, right, right. You know, we're saying out. this. I wonder how much of this was edited out footage. You know, I wonder how much of this was there, and they just took it out just to make sure it was like, you know, I don't know. That, yeah. Like, Close to an hour and a half long or whatever. I mean, you you don't want a movie like this to be too long. It does not work. It doesn't work. You know, you got to get in and get out. So, but yeah, it's not that kind of movie. It's, no. it's a fast paced shoot 'em up popcorn movie. Thank God. Yeah. He's, he's a lot which, more the, the, which they saved the day, the end of the movie and is saved by the day the day by a forklift. <laughs> right. As usual. Yeah, you know, I mean, forklifts, you know, are known to be able to take out, you know, military-grade cyborgs, but still, I think my You know where I'm heading when the shit hits the fan? I'm going toward a forklift. I I think a bulldozer might be more appropriate. (laughs) You go for your bulldozer. I'm going going with the tested method of the forklift. I've seen Class of 99. I know what to do. That's what what I'll be telling people running toward it. It's the most cannon-like. Yeah, it's the mo- it's the most canon like non canon movie ever. I know I said that towards the beginning of our show. No, you're right though. But you're it's definitely right. The most, uh, and even the ending, down right to the ending, and then like they they resolute everything. They get a resolution. Everything. All three cyborgs are destroyed. Right. Uh, Doctor Bob. He's you know he's he's dead. You know, well everybody's dead except for Cody and Christy. I think pretty much. Right. But well, and, and it ends and you, right off you the only, Well, the difference is, is if it was canon, the the really good effects in this film would have been awkward as well because they wouldn't have flipped the bill for <laughs> to make them look right. So they would have all looked as awkward as the robot at the very end oh, if it yeah. was canon because canon canon wasn't going to spend a buck. They were trying to find a way to save one. You know, I always sat there and thought, I was like, you know, guys, I have a great idea how you could like not put a lot of money into a movie 
and, and, and still be happy. Don't make the movie. You're rich. Stop. Just yeah, stop. stop while you're ahead. <laughs> Just stop. And then you will blow all your money and then worry about the effects and stuff. I don't know. It's, just, it's And then we wouldn't deals. end up with things like Masters of the Universe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> Which I don't know would right. be a positive or a negative. I don't even know at this point, you know, so. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I hate to think of a world without it, but like. You know, at the same time, I have to admit, does the world really need it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know? Was Garbage Pail Kids movie was that was that canon as well? I think so. I know. Yeah. Uh, I know Superman Four: The Quest for Peace was was, was yeah. definitely canon. Yeah. I think the only movie they did was it Runaway Train. That was really really well regarded. I think as far as I remember, that Runaway was Train. Uh, Eric Roberts, John Voight. Am I thinking yes. right? Okay. Yes. Yeah, that was canon. That was a canon movie. So uh, that, th- that though, I think, and Rebecca De Mornay is also in that. Uh, yeah, so that's the, the prison film where they, they escape on the, the train. It's a great movie. It's a grand movie. I haven't seen it in years. I, I don't, re- to be honest, remember a whole heap and hell a lot about it. Well, that got an Oscar, Oscar nominations, if not win. I mean, wins. That's what Eric Roberts, I'm pretty sure shoot i'd have to look it up and all that but i do know that it had oscar contention if not winning something or another um it won so it was nominated for oscars didn't i don't think it yeah it didn't win still won, i mean uh, get yeah. three oscar noms out of a movie that's pretty damn good john voight won a golden globe for best actor nice for it and then um, Eric Roberts was nominated. And it was nominated for Best Picture in the, the Golden Globes. I see it also has Eddie Bunker in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Trejo? No kidding. Well, then again, that, that surprised I, me when he pops up in something because he's in everything. I, this was a big movie. I, this might be his first movie. I think, if I'm not mistaken, because I'm not looking right now, but if I'm not mistaken... Danny Trejo was a advisor on the film. And it was one of those deals where they just put him in front of the camera because he was so good. Um, it, not unlike um, uh, uh, Arlie Erme in Full Metal Jacket. He was supposed to be the military advisor for that film. And yeah, like, and then they put, him good. In a, yeah, they put him in the Sergeant Gunny, right? I think they, like, after they seen how much presence he had i guess is a way of putting it yeah and you know kubrick doesn't make decisions lightly obviously everyone knows that so big deal it was a big deal you know it was pretty cool but yeah so but anyway so yeah the so runaway train i think it, that was what really it kept canon afloat everybody was waiting for another important film to come from them and yeah i'm sure there was another couple decent important ones but the rest of them were just Reasons to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were fun. <laughs> you know, really, a lot of fun. But not for them, we wouldn't have had stuff like Death Wish 3, you know? Or Cobra. Or, or Cobra. Co- or Cobra. Right. Right. Uh, Death Wish 3, another another early movie to late movie difference in tone, right? Oh, God, yeah. Death, when Wish, they turned, Death Wish 3. Yeah, when they turned Charles Bronson into fucking Rambo in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I love Death Wish 3. Death oh, Wish 2 too. rules, too. Death Wish 2 rules, too, but Death Wish 3 just, just says, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about it. It's a totally fuck it movie. You know? so, it's just like, you know, you know, we're just throwing caution to the wind, just fucking let the chips fall where they may with this one. Right, right. 
So but that being a, said, yeah. you want to go ahead and get into our final uh, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Uh, yeah. summary and then sure. rating? You know how we do around here. Uh, rating on a scale from 1 to 10. Right. So do I go first then? Uh, if you like, yeah, you can go first or I can go first. It doesn't matter. I usually uh, like S go first. Uh, I would give, I, eh, let's see here. I'm, so when I'm thinking, just so you know, I'm not trying to hedge here. I'm thinking somewhere between a six and a seven. So I'm going to go 6.5. Uh-huh. Is that, is that, is that doable? Can I do it? Can I yeah. cheat? Oh, you, go oh, 6. I, oh I, usually, I usually do point fives and whatnot. Um, I came in at a seven. That's what okay. I had written down when I did my review notes last night. Cause yeah, is is it a technically sound seven out of ten movie? No, but mm-hmm. it's a, a, it's a entertainment value seven out of ten movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's fucking fun. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it doesn't let up. It's action packed. It's got great over the top characters. Everybody is somebody that you know between Stacey Keach, Malcolm McDowell, you know Pam Greer, John P. Ryan, Patrick Kilpatrick. Mm-hmm. The list goes on and on, like. Everybody is top notch in it, you know. Even uh, our boy Cody, you know, is is pretty good in it. But yeah, you know, although like like we've had said a little bit miscast is probably a thing that took a full point off for me. If if your lead is miscast, that's that's a kind of a no no in my right. book. Ain't his fault, not his fault, but yeah, no, yeah, not I, his I fault. That was a casting yeah. director. I'd take the money in the gig too if I was him. So yeah, I get him. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, and he did, he did a bang up job for who he is. I mean, I tell you the great, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he chewed up the scenery, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I, you know, I kind of agree with that. I, I like the. I, we're in a unique situation or position watching this film uh, because we saw it when we were about the age of the high school characters. Mm-hmm. And now we're watching it about the age of the teachers. You know? <laughs> right. So I find that fascinating to kind of come back and watch it and almost appreciate the teachers more. I would find it interesting to see what a young person like my son would think of it. Um, it would be interesting to see what he would think about, you know, because yeah. I think that I, I think he would enjoy it, have fun with it. You know, but it's hard because it's like when we were kids. Well, our I, I parents think... would tell us about the black and white movies that were way better than the color movie. And we were we would. Well, I don't know about that. You know, we would be like, eh, you know, because it's not our generation, you know, and stuff. So they might my kid might just be like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know? He'd be like, it's a He'd stupid probably movie tell us, about robots. Like said at the beginning of the show, there's not a likable character in this movie. I don't give a shit. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. They I don't think the kids in this movie would recognize the kids today in high school they they certainly didn't turn out the same way that's for sure you know no, so no they yeah. didn't they didn't come from this the same era that much is certain yeah they're a different kind of shitty uh street trash uh a, a, a synapse film one that i i did a a, a podcast an, an episode dedicated to street trash and that was the one thing i said about that movie is like i have no idea where the moral compass in this movie is going but it feels like they're trying to have one uh this movie to me just is a cautionary tale about everybody being that shitty to each other this is where you're going to end up um that 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 actually pushed it a point up for me was it was better than i remembered it a little bit more fun than i remembered it uh the effects were better and i remember the effects i remember 
What all I remember about this movie was Stacy Keach looking like a weirdo, looking like he needed to be in an Australian movie. You know, like he had an Australian villain look to him for some reason. Um, yeah, and then, <laughs> he did. I don't know why. And then, um, uh, but no, I just, I, it, it just, it was fun. Uh, yeah. And I remembered it. It was the opposite oh, it, of the, the, the first movie. The first movie was not a fun movie. No. A good no. movie. You know, a good, a good movie, movie, but just not a fun movie. You kind of, I think after watching Class of 1984, you almost feel like you need to take a bit of a shower or yeah. use a horror's bath, you know? <laughs> yeah. Clean yourself up a little bit. But, yeah. you know, this movie, this feels like, like, oh, I got some um, popcorn butter on my fingers, you know? Right, Again, I keep using right. that term, a popcorn movie, but that's exactly what it is. It's a fun time. Right. And, I mean, you know, I, I think there's a couple of these movies a little later in the 80s era that I'm coming back to. But I do appreciate it a little bit more because where I was a little fatigued in the moment, you know, I mean, we had we had the VHS stores and everything. We were we were getting we were getting a lot of new movies a lot back then. I mean, it was kind of the thing and the thing meaning like the thing to do. I mean, people were going to video stores. They were going to the theaters with their dates on the weekends. Yeah, um, and during the week, we were going to the you know on Friday night, the blockbuster was lit, man. Yeah, well, it was like what YouTube is today. We didn't have it, so we went. We had to go places to get our YouTubes, and our YouTubes were at either theaters, drive-ins, or video stores, like you're saying, or a cable television, you know, as well. Um, and so, to me, this is what this was. And I think there are moments like a movie like Class of '99, where I look back and say I really didn't appreciate this very much when it was new, and I look back at it now, like you know what I kind of miss seeing in a movie like this every now and then come out now yeah yeah movies like this are from a bygone era you know it's, it's kind of a, a style that i don't think will ever come back although mm-hmm. i would love to see people try there, you know mm-hmm. there's a few movies that come out every once in a while that that tries real hard to kind of emulate that style but it just it kind of misses the mark which is sad to think about but i would love to see some you know it's kind of i think you know a movie that might Fit that bill is a movie kind of like like Hobo with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. It kind mm-hmm. of you know is this is this an exploitation film for exploitation's sake? You know, and it knows mm-hmm. exactly what the hell it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's tickling your imagination more than trying to shape or insult your morals. Exactly. But, yeah, or beliefs, or beliefs. I'm glad, which we, I I'm think, glad we covered this yep. one. I'm glad. I'm glad mm-hmm. uh, when you, we were throwing around titles that you threw this one out because I was just like, you know, that is one that I have not revisited in a long time. I I figured I had to I had to get unique and clever if I was going to throw a movie at you. Yeah, because <laughs> I threw Friday the Thirteenth too at you the first time, and that was like, you know, it was not exactly a small unknown film. Yeah, and <laughs> so it was, I wanted to get a little more surprise me when you picked when you pick that one i'm like i i have a feeling i know which movie he's gonna pick like it didn't uh it wasn't like when you surprised me with uh dark star for john carpenter month i'm like oh he's gonna choose halloween i'm like no he went with dark star i'm like that's right uh, right which that's a little surprising to me too because halloween is my favorite film of all time but i also think that is why i chose something else because you don't want to get me it's like i i think i said to you on facebook today kind of jokingly you don't want to get me talking about peter cushing yeah, like, <laughs> the fact I just said his name, you need to hang up on me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just kind of well, folks. That's you... it for the evening. We bid you a fond farewell. 
uh, long live Christopher <laughs> Lee, long live Peter Cushing, and we're out. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, but no, and, and Halloween would be the same thing. You don't, you, it's just do a whole show and just be like you know. me getting me to talk about either one of the demons films. Oh, no, right, that, right. It's going to have to be a two parter because I could go on mm-hmm. for five, six hours talking about that movie and, and oh, still have a lot more to say. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, there's a lot in those movies. With that being said, do you have anything you want to uh, plug that you got coming up real quick before we head on out of here? Uh, just new shows coming up. Well, as far as podcasts, just still doing the Synapse podcast, but one every month. Just go to synapsefilms.com and they're they're on there. Just keep them busy as always. Yes, sir. Yes, I am. It's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Well, that being said, we'll put a pin in this one for the evening, or the, as I always say, evening, but it's really about like one in the afternoon right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, thanks again for coming on the show. I know we just did the Friday 13th part two. That'll be out here in a couple of weeks. And this one, I always try to keep uh, ahead a couple of episodes ahead of the game. So I got stuff to edit. Yeah. But, uh, I need to learn how to do that because. My my boss or synapse would love it. <laughs> would love if I would have one in my back pocket instead of just doing them as it as it comes. You know, I kind of I, I I live paycheck to paycheck on that. Oh so, uh, yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. I know the yeah, feeling. Yeah. But again, yeah. thanks for. I know this usually takes up a big chunk of our afternoon because we <laughs> usually end up talking about as much off the air as we do on the air. So mm-hmm. I know it takes out a chunk of your day. So appreciate you giving me another uh, big chunk of your time this week. Uh, honor and pleasure always love it it's always right. fun to talk movies yep i always like talking good movies with good people that's why the show was even here in the first place Amen. Amen. <laughs> that being said folks thanks for tuning in you have been listening to us uh review and dissect class of 1999 on sequel to deja vu and keep tuning back in because we got more in store for you i operate from a model of app Zero tolerance. So do we. So no misbehavior in or out of this classroom. No roaming the corridors without a pass. No disrespect or disobedience. And last, there will be no excuses whatsoever.